Hey there. Welcome to one of our first stories of the podcast. I'm David All, and this is Belly of the Beast Life Stories and Beyond. In season three, we shouldered up with you and made it clear that this podcast is not for sale. No advertising or outside influence, a sacred and safe space. Starting with season three, we dedicate a poem to one of our listeners that is standing with us as an enabler of our mission. They're doing so by chipping in $5 at bellystory.com. To be true to our word, we're going back through some of our earlier content in seasons one and two and removing the segments that we feel may not be congruent with this idea. So enjoy. This story, like every other story on our podcast, is now 100% advertising free. A safe space where you can let your guard down, listen, and notice if something comes up in your soul. If you would like to be an enabler, and we certainly could use your help, visit bellystory.com and chip in $5 today. Now, here's that extraordinary life story. The goal of this podcast is to bring to life the nature of transformation through people's personal stories of getting knocked down in life and climbing up a new person. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show so that other heroes can find it too. Let me introduce you to Kip Morse. She wanted to make sure that we weren't going to cry when we were leaving because she understood that it was just as hard for us. And so she would always tell us, I'm going to be all right. I'll be all right. I'll see you next weekend. And then I would take off down Shaker Boulevard in tears. And my wife would say the same thing. She said, you know, it wasn't until she got to the freeway before she gathered herself. I first met Kip a few years ago as the president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Central Ohio. We've stayed friends since I moved to Los Angeles, and we do quite a bit of work together. And he's also a personal and professional mentor to me. And quite frankly, as a man aware of my own journey, I've looked for role models outside of my own personal experience to emulate. Kip is at the top of my list as a great example of what a father should be to his family. Kip and his wife, Leslie, of more than 30 years, have three daughters, all in their 20s. His story that he shares with us is one of trying to maintain the peace in his family, despite the deep challenge of having a daughter with Down syndrome and severe behavioral issues. Kip Morse, welcome to Belly of the Beast Life Stories. Thank you, David. It's an honor to be here. Kip, before we started this interview, you were telling me that solutions throughout your life have really come to you when you're on your knees, when you're in a point of surrender. And to that point, I would love for you to open your story by taking us to that Friday night in June of 2016 when your whole family was really on its knees with the situation. Well, I, you know, I recall it vividly because it was, um, it was, constantly having communications with my daughter and uh, and my wife 
and consoling one another and tears streaming down our faces. And it was this realization that, you know, 23 years of trying to get Allison to be at a point where she was happy and she was uh, independent and where she could live a life with, uh, with a strong self-esteem and, and purpose. And we hadn't gotten there. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't within our control anymore. And, and so we needed experts to, to assist us, and we needed to, uh, to do something that was going to be extremely hard, not only for us, but for Allison. And so you're not only struggling yourself, but you're struggling because you're trying to put yourself in her shoes and how she is processing this. And that's, you know, that's a common thread throughout all the years is that, you know, with, with children and, and adults with special needs, you know, I always say, don't ever treat them differently because you have no idea how they're processing things. On the outward side, they may be showing you all sorts of strange ways of, of how they're processing, but you have no way of knowing internally in their head they might be processing it exactly the same way you are, you know, in, in terms of the same order. You know, we communicate the same with her as we with our other children. Try to, you know, you work with them on using your words and and it's okay to have emotions. And, and so she had gotten to the point where that night she understood what was happening. She understood why it was happening. She understood that it was going to be for the better. But she was specifically saying to us, I know this is the right thing, mom and dad, but I just, I'm going to miss you guys. And, you know, we would break down in tears. You know, I'd walk out of the room. Uh, it, you know, it gets to me right now because I still think about it. We had a couple of friends that came over because they knew it was her last night. And they came over and, you know, and um, they're at the bottom of the stairs and they saw me walk out of the room and I was just, I was just bawling. I needed five minutes. Leslie was in the room, you know, talking to her and, uh, and then she'd come out. And then I'd have to go back in and it, we were just trying to, you know, spend as much time with her. And the beauty of it was that we were listening to her convey her understanding and then constantly lift her back up with, you know, hey, this you're going to be independent. You're going to be, you know, living with other people in an apartment, just like your sisters. Your sisters all are in an apartment and, you know, that you'd see her, you know, brighten up. Um, because she wants to be just like her sisters. And so there, there's constantly those ups and downs with um, the understanding. And um, so, yeah, that was that night was, um, it, it left its mark with the entire family. That's for sure. I want to come back to that night. But can you tell us from really day one, you knew something was different with Allie. Well, day one, that was uh, um, that was the toughest on um, my wife because um, I actually left the hospital to go take a shower after the, after she was born in the middle of the night, and she called me up and she said, "Get back to the hospital immediately." And I thought something was physically wrong, and she said, "She goes, the doctor says he wants to talk to me, and he wants to talk to me with with you in the room." And so my my wife's a nurse, 
<laughs> she's she knows the routine. She knows that doctors are not always the best in communicating. And uh, so I rushed back, and um, and that's when the doctor came in and said, you know, we see signs that she has uh, she was born with Down syndrome, and uh, you know, and we, you know, you don't know anything about that. You just know you just you're just looking at your new baby girl with you know total love and and devotion and uh and so yeah we were just kind of stunned you know you don't know what to what to think and this was your first child with leslie you've been married for over 30 years now but that day you looked at each other and you said she needed us before we knew of her down syndrome she needs us more now god will provide yeah, those that that was exactly what I recall having being having the conversation is that you know you have to kind of come to grips immediately with what is your position in a in a state like that, and it can't be it can't be insta- instability and you have to kind of make a statement. <laughs> and our statement was that uh, um, that she needs us now more than ever, um, and so you know, game on. And, uh, and actually the game was on for a little bit more because she had a, um, they heard a heart murmur and over 50% of the kids with Down syndrome need heart surgery if they have that heart murmur. And so I mean, Leslie was just recalling with me about, do you remember driving behind the ambulance to the children's center in preparation for the heart surgery? And we got there and I recall sitting in the waiting room and, and the doctor came out with a big smile on his face and he said, we don't have to do any surgery. She, that's a typical murmur that for any child and uh, she doesn't have any kind of need for surgery. So uh, we dodged a bullet on that one. One thing we've learned from other guests on this podcast who have children with special needs is that they become an expert in whatever that particular diagnosis is or a rare disease or whatever it is. Can you tell us from your, what you've learned, you know, what is down syndrome? Well, it's interesting because, um, yeah, I think what happens is you immerse yourself in all of the, uh, you know, trying to understand it fully, but I'll take you back to, um, we were living in Florida and everybody said, get out of Florida. They're 10 years behind the times. Don't read a book because, they're going to tell you to institutionalize them. Uh, and, uh, and so we took it to heart. And, I, and within three months, I had a new job at, back in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, and we moved back here from Florida. But I think, you know, and then from me being in business, I, you know, I was quickly on the board of directors of the Down Syndrome Association. My wife was going to every um, early childhood uh, support group meeting. We were involved with socially with all the individuals, but what we found as, as Allie grew up was that there's, there's it's such a spectrum for Down syndrome in terms of physically and mentally. Allie's a very high functioning individual that has Down syndrome, but throughout the years we found that she had all sorts of behavioral problems, and we had all sorts of issues with OCD and with. Um, anxiety. And so the diagnosis went from Down syndrome to all of these leading up to pervasive developmental disorder, which was kind of a the interim period of time before they finally said, 
that autism is such a vast spectrum that uh, uh, that she's just on the spectrum of, of autistic, which carries the OCD and the uh, and the anxiety and the mood disorder. So we learned that we're not the typical parents with a child with Down syndrome because they were all leaning towards inclusion, 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 and we were kind of saying, you know, we this is not the right time for inclusion. We wanted her to be included, but we didn't. Inclusion was meaning putting her in the mainstream with all the typical kids in, in the classroom and so forth. And uh, um, that just wasn't an option for Allie. And can you tell us a little bit more about some of these behavioral issues that you've faced? Well, you know, early on, it was just, um, it was just extreme. Allie was extremely squirrely and uh, would, you know, lie on the floor and turn into, you know, feeling like 200 pounds and doing it in the middle of the, the supermarket and so forth um, and uh, and having temper tantrums and fits. And, uh, you know, there's one time my wife was, didn't know what to do. She's in the middle of an aisle and, and Allie was screaming and, and throwing a fit. And, and some lady came up and, and started to do some sort of a seance. And Allie kind of, Allie looked at her like, you know, what the hell is this woman doing? And she kind of broke out of her, uh, you know, her attack mode. And, and Leslie was like, thank you. <laughs> you know, finally, because nobody would ever help. Nobody would ever come to her aid in situations like that. As she got older, it led to, um, uh, she would go into a, um, a mood that was uh, kind of a total frustration and her tank was empty and she wasn't getting what she wanted. And, uh, and it could mean 45 minutes of throwing things, grabbing, um, at us, taking my wife down to the ground, getting her. I mean, we got skilled in, in learning not how to not let them get the hold of your hair, but they, she would pull hair out, rip clothes off. I'd get summoned in from wherever I was to release the two of them. Um, and then I would basically be in a full-scale wrestling match for 45 minutes. I'd come out of that wrestling match with soaking wet and sweat, my T-shirt ripped off of me, scratch marks. And that was after she had already done the same thing to my wife. And so it was, and then when she'd come out of it, She'd be in an apologizing mode. She would not know what came over her. She didn't really understand, you know, why she did it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was this extreme lack of control that was uh, really scary at that moment. And still, you didn't see institutionalizing Allie as a possible solution. No, because... In central Ohio, there was no resources for that. There was respite if you wanted to get a break and send her away for a weekend um, so that you could have a weekend um, away from it. But there wasn't an answer for, hey, there's yeah, there's individuals that can handle this behavior and we're going to try to work through what that behavior is. You know, you, you try to stay away from certain medications for a long period of time and then then you start going down this road of medications and it's an ugly road because you, you pile one on top of another 
And then some of them have serious side effects. And then you have more medications to cover the side effects. And then you try something um, that, you know, makes them basically catatonic and you get them off of that because that's not what you want. And so you, you try a lot of different things. And I think that uh, when she when she wasn't in that mode, she was loving, she was fun to be with, and she was she was a joy. But you never knew what might set her off. And uh, and so we we were worried about. Uh, I was worried about my wife. I was worried about my uh, two uh, my other two daughters. And then we had providers in the house, and seventy five percent of the providers never made it past a week. And so, you know, I was talking to my daughter and my daughter was saying the crazy part was all, we always had some stranger in our house. And, you know, and we were so hyper-focused on whether this is the next best provider that we didn't have the the time to think about the effect that was having on on her sister's. Yeah, can you tell us some of those effects that it did have on your daughters and your family in general? Well, the effects are long lasting. I mean, they they are deep seated, and they they will become a part of the the her siblings because they experienced hiding from the uh, behavior issues, seeing their mother taken to the ground, having to step up as an adult. Uh, having to step up at 10 years old one of my daughters called me and said the the caregiver had locked herself in Allie's room to get away from Allie and and another time she said well I also remember one of the caregivers locking herself in her car and so then at 10 years old she's calling me at work and saying you know this person can't take it anymore um, she's running. So she's had to, had to step up to be, you know, a family member that's protecting the family. And the thought of that, you know, and then my other daughter, she is working with kids with special needs. She's working with kids with autism and Down syndrome. Uh, she's a social worker with a, um, a degree and, um, and a master's degree. And so that's how it affected her. And, uh, you know, and I think I, in talking to him, you know, we go on vacations and Leslie and I would typically travel separately. We, the travel was very difficult and the getting there, um, you know, Allie could only handle an hour maybe at the beach and then it's too hot or she, you know, uh, starts to, uh, to run. And so I end up taking her back to the, to the place. And so we never really did anything as a family full scale. And, uh, and the kids said, you know, that they felt like that was taking something away from them and they wanted her to be there. They just wanted it to be, to be normal. Um, and it, it never was. Without a solution in Ohio, you tried to create your own. Can you tell us about that? Well, we, we spent, it just frustrated me that that Central Ohio did not have the resources and um, and was not set up properly for assisting individuals when they get out of high school. Um, they call it falling off the cliff, but it's you know it's really um, 
uh, it's really devastating because, you know, if you don't understand what the options are and, and because it's such a big spectrum, you get lost very quickly. And so I started doing a lot of research and people gave me some name. I told them the situation. They gave me some names of different places and so forth. And we tried to set up a nonprofit that was that would be able to uh, manage the behaviors as well as provide jobs so that uh, uh, the, these in, individuals can be going out into the community and have jobs and be productive. And when that became too much of a struggle to accomplish that, we were right in the midst of, of that, uh, that cliff where we just, you know, we were at the point where we understood we could not control it anymore. And so, you know, we, through our research, we found an organization in Cleveland. Well, actually, what took place, take it back a sec, we had her at a um, at one of her therapy sessions at a professional therapist's uh, location, and I got called to rush from work up there because she had attacked the therapist. And so they had her basically you know, protected in a corner and I had to get in there and settle the thing, settle the situation down. She usually would settle down when she saw me because she knows that, that once I'm bigger and she can't do that. And plus she knows it's been escalated to that point. And so we said to the therapist, this is what we're talking about. You just saw what we're talking about. And so she said, within a week, I'll give you options on where, um, what your options are. And she got back to me and she said, there's a place in in Chicago and there's a place in Philadelphia and there's a place in, in Cleveland. And I thought, are you kidding me? We don't have a place in Ohio, in central Ohio. So I checked out the place in Cleveland and it was the Monarch Center for Autism. And I called the director and the director um, has a lot of experience in this type of a behavior situation. And helped us understand quickly that he thinks that it's more related to the self-esteem and to the living in the home and to that she's not happy with her her own situation. And so he volunteered to come down within a couple of days and spend a day experiencing it with us. And after he did that, he said, I've got a home um, it's a house in Shaker Heights that she could live in with, uh, at the time it was with, uh, four other individuals with uh, autism. And then she'd be going to a day program during the day and then coming back to her own house, um, with providers that can handle the behavior. And then they will work the, the plan to, to manage that behavior and help teach her how to be independent. And that was, uh, we said, that's gotta be the answer. Um, we've got to give it a shot or, um, you know, we're going to go down another road that is, was not in our plans, you know, 23 years ago. And Kip, I would love for you to pick it up at that night in June of 2016, when the whole family has really come around and you're just crying through the night, realizing that this is such a challenging moment in the separation, but also that this could finally be a solution for everyone. And even your daughter seems to recognize that. Yeah, I think it was it was encouraging to know that the the director of the, the Monarch Center for Autism uh, was confident and I, I did my research on him and 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 he really understands this. 
And so we we did have some confidence knowing that this was a good plan and it was it was just not what we thought we were going to be doing. I think that uh you know again the most impactful part of it was and the most most emotional part was seeing her understand that because the the she understood that struggling to wake up in the morning largely because of the drugs that she had to be on and also because of sleep apnea and you know the other things but when she everybody would struggle to even get her up to get get, get going and then to have a provider sit in the house and basically watch her do movies and then she'd just want mom and dad to come home and then when mom and dad came home she just wanted us to take care of her and and to cater to her and this is she's 23 we wanted to get her to the point where she was independent and she was high functioning she's capable of incredible things and so she knew that that's not what she wanted and then when i when a caregiver couldn't come and i'd have to take work off and i'd spend time with her she'd say i'm bored I'm like, of course you're bored. I, we've got nothing for you. We 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 don't have you out in the community because you can't function in the community because of the behaviors. So all of this led up to a, a strong realization that, you know, we've got to give this a shot. And so there was a comfort in knowing um, that it it is the next next best um, option. Uh, but we just knew how hard it was because it wasn't what we had envisioned. We knew that um, being two hours away from her um, was going to be excruciating to her. And, uh, and then I knew what my wife was going through. I knew that she can be, she can understand it as well, but it's, she's a mother and she doesn't want to be leaving her child two hours away to somebody else's care. And so it was, uh, it was intense. But it wasn't like you were just dropping her off, right? I mean, every single weekend you were driving to Shaker Heights. Oh, yeah. We went up every, every single weekend. We went up there. Um, I don't think she ever went a weekend without us visiting. She really looked forward to that. And uh, um, there wasn't much we could do there. So um, if it was nice out, we'd go take her to the park and just spend as much time at the park as we possibly could. And then we'd go out to dinner and then we'd or go out to lunch and then we'd, you know, just go back to her place and spend a little bit of time with her and help get things organized. And then she would tell us, she goes, I'll be all right when you leave. Just so you know, I'll be all right. She wanted to make sure that we weren't going to cry when we were leaving because she understood that it was just as hard for us. And so she would always tell us, I'm going to be all right. I'll be all right. I'll see you next weekend. And, and then I would take off down Shaker Boulevard in tears. And my wife would say the same thing. She said, you know, it wasn't until she got to the freeway before she gathered herself. Kip, what was the new normal like? I and mean, was this your first time away from Allie in 23 years? It was. It was the first time away. And it was, um, you know, after a while, you know, you, you think you think it'll get to some sort of normal, but really 
I don't know what normal is. <laughs> I did never really got to the point where I defined that. But we did spend time working on our relationship, and we did have more opportunities to spend time building the relationship with uh, um, our other two daughters and um, and working with them. I think it came at a time with one of my daughters that was um, still in high school. We were able to spend more quality time. We didn't do a very good job. I didn't do a very good job of talking about it. Obviously, I with three daughters, um, you know, my wife did did more conversations with the with uh, my daughters, but I should have been there more. I should have asked more questions. But uh, you know, I have been seen as the the one that has spent more time with Allie, showcased more love for Allie because I was always the one that was having to try to reduce the amount of stress on everybody else and break up the fighting. And what that turns into is I'm enabling. And I've come to realize that I thought I was just trying to save peace in the family. But, um, you know, they all kind of shared with me that, no, you were just spending a lot of time with Allie and enabling her and and it wasn't being fair to to mom, you know. And, and so it was, it's another one of those, boy, it's hard to get get it right when you're going through it. That stress really took a toll on you. In fact, at one point you thought you were having a heart attack. Yeah, I mean, it took a toll on the whole family that for sure. But um, yeah, in my case, it was r- right around that same time I took over as president of the Better Business Bureau. And I think that that stress tied to a number of years following that where I would get called home and have to take care of situations. I'd have to go and work from home. My staff was incredibly understanding. And um, so that just built on on one another. And I remember driving down Olentangy River Road and, you know, and I just couldn't get a deep breath. And uh, so, yeah, I went to see the, my doctor and put me on the heart monitor and he said, we'll see what's going on. And my wife's a nurse. So I went in on a weekend to her unit and they hooked me up on a, uh, on the EKG and said, well, we'll see what's going on. Cause I said, I keep hearing, it's kind of like, uh, my heart is trying to catch itself. And so sure enough, they ran a tape and they said, yeah, we saw it. I took it into the doctor and he said, said, I think your heart's fine. I think you're just stressed out. <laughs> and, uh, I thought that was good news, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, stress builds on itself and, even if you think you've handled it for a, a week, a month, or a year, it builds on itself. And, you know, until you really start to to talk about it, um, I don't think there's improvement. And uh, I have not done a good job of that. How did space help to repair, you know, not only your relationship with your wife and your daughters, but also with Allie? I mean, it sounds like she was really coming into her own there and was expressing her own awareness to say, you know, I'm going to be fine. Was she enjoying herself? And how did that add to the overall, you know, love happening within the family? Yeah. I mean, I, I know that, I know that her sisters loved the fact that there, they, all of a sudden there was some sort of a way to see the fun and joy and love of Allie um, again. And we were seeing it, and it, I think the 
I mean, obviously routine is, is so huge with individuals with special needs. They just have to understand. I mean, she'll wake up in the morning and say, what are we doing today? And what does it look like? What, I mean, almost to the hour. And so that's the structure that they had up there. And so they had a job as one of the, the periods of time during the day program. And so she said, she goes, I've got a job and um, I'm making candles and we're making um, uh, lotions and scrubs and so forth. And then she was selling them to um, uh, to us and the friends in the neighborhood and bringing them back. And so the purpose started coming back in and the understanding that she was more normal than she realized. And she is living independently, just like her sisters. I mean, that was huge. We kept saying, "You're, but you know, you've got your own apartment. And, and before Sammy went to, uh, to college, we said, you know, Sammy's jealous. She has to live with us, <laughs> you know, and uh, you've got your own apartment. And so she understood those things. She understood that, you know, uh, you're getting older and it's time to, for you to, to live on, on your own. And so the pain that she was feeling of leaving us, which we were feeling, she was also really excited. Like any individual, like any child that's leaving to go to college, um, or live on their own. It's like, finally I can live, you know, on my own. Um, they just, you know, with, with special needs, they just need a little bit more help and guidance and, and structure. Um, I think going to college, they, they need a little bit more structure. So, but, uh, but I think that um, it was huge two years for, uh, for the family to take a deep breath and say, um, okay, things might look differently uh, down the road. A few years later, your daughter, Rachel, graduated and was working at a nonprofit and she said there might be a, a local solution for Allie. Yeah, she knew exactly what um, the situation was and what we had been looking for. And, um, and she knew that we were ultimately, we wanted to get her back to, to Columbus. And so she had found a company that ability matters that dedicated themselves. It was mothers that put it together and they brought in an expert from uh, special education to run it. And they had the same issues and they put together an organization that said, I don't care what issues the individual has. Um, we're going to be able to handle them and we're going to handle them and get them in the community. Very similar to what they were doing up um, in Cleveland, but this gets them into the community so that they can get together and they can socialize and they can work for some social enterprises and they can um, work at some different businesses, but they can have somebody by their side to help them out. And then they can go back in a lot of the cases, not all of them, but in a lot of the cases, they go back to an apartment or a home that is either owned by the company or, um, or in this case, we have assistance through creative living. And uh, um, she has a, an apartment with two other young ladies, same age with autism. And they live together and they've got some individuals that are there um, 24-7. They, you know, their schedule is the chores and taking care of the making meals and the lunches for the next day and taking their showers and hygiene. And, you know, I mean, taking them through, these are all the things that you need to be good at to live independently. And so, you know, she still is proud of her charts and she's, brings them home and says, look at this. I got up every day at nine o'clock. Look at this. I did all my chores. You know, she constantly wants 
you to know that she's doing well independently. Was everyone on board with Allie coming home? Well, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, um, it was really Leslie's and my um, decision. I think everybody had seen the growth over those two years. The relationship between her and her sisters blossomed, and uh, they traveled to see her in Cleveland, and, and they saw that, I mean, they were amazed at, at how um, how much more mature she was acting and how uh, she was communicating better. And, and, you know, obviously she doesn't forget what took place. And so she's very apologetic and it's, it's going to take time. It's going to take more and more years for, for some of those memories to fade and the new memories of, of the fun that they're having um, now together really builds on each other. But I've seen it happen. And so, yeah, it's, it's exciting to, to see the next era of, uh, of Allie's growth and, and, uh, an association with her siblings and her, and her mother. Kip, I want to go back to the very beginning of your journey with Allie. And it was the day that you left the hospital to go and take a shower and freshen up. And right before you came back to get the diagnosis that your daughter had down syndrome, And imagine that you're staring at the mirror and you know everything that you know today. What would you say to yourself? I'd probably ask God to take that out of my memory (laughs) because I think I I don't want to go into the biggest challenge knowing what I have in front of me. I, I just I would like to know what I have in front of me for the next day, week, month. Um, because it, you know, when you look back on, on all the different times and eras and periods of, uh, of growth and development, you know, they were all intense and tough and they were done for the right reasons. And they were, um, and they were either great or, or debilitating, but to know that you were going to be going through all of those down the road, that would be overwhelming. So, you know, the old saying, you take it one day at a time. I mean, that's the way you've got to take it because you don't know what the next day is going to be. I mean, I remember I joke about, um, you know, early on, you know, Leslie would be taking Allie down to the early childhood development because they were worried about muscle tone when she was like under six months old and were rolling around a ball and doing all these things to try to prep her for, you know, when she's two and three and four years old. Now she's strong as an ox. <laughs> and we're like, you know, what was that all about? You know, they were worried about muscle tone. That was, you know, that was 10,000 worries ago. But um, so I don't know if I'd want to know everything like that. If I did know, then I'd say, wow, the human being is an incredible, is incredible in and of itself because uh, they're capable of, of doing anything. How has this experience contributed to your character? Well, I think that appreciating everybody's value and respecting everybody is really critical to me. Um, I think that, I mean, I see it with individuals that I, that I've hired at work and that I, you know, I'll, other people at, other 
staff members might wonder why I'm putting up with certain things and say, you don't know what they're going through and you don't know, you know, really what, what's been in front of their path before. And, and so I, I always want to um, treat people with respect and, you know, and I think back on, uh, you know, again, I, I, we, I've had so many friends now that have children with special needs and I've had so many kids with autism and down syndrome in our house and, and around our family. And, and I love communicating to them because they're all, they're all so unique, but you know that they understand and they love and appreciate when somebody else totally loves and accepts them. That's very different. It's it, again, they're just like anybody else. If you feel as though somebody doesn't respect you or doesn't love you or doesn't care about what you're saying, then you feel minimized. And they feel minimized when people turn away or um, or look scared because they don't understand how they're communicating or 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 look intimidated because they don't know what's what some of their bodily actions might mean. So, you know, character has to do with accepting everybody with what they bring to the table. And, um, and I think that I've learned that over the years. Uh, I think everybody learns that with the, with children and so forth, but with a child with special needs, I think it's, it's magnified. And can you also talk a little bit about how purpose has just added so much value to Allie's life. Yeah, I think uh, that is what lights her up the most. And because she always says, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? She's always asking us, are you proud of me? Because she knows that she's she's challenged herself. She's reached a certain hurdle. And then she wants that recognition. And I've actually used it in some of my business presentations about um, being a leader of character with the the understanding that everybody needs to have an understanding of, say, what their day is going to look like. And they also need you need to celebrate successes. And so we had a chart for her where she'd get smiley faces throughout if she did the, all the things that she needed to do throughout a day. And and then she got to eat out at the end of the week if she had you know, uh, five days that were successful. People in the business community need the same thing. They need to celebrate successes and they, they need recognition and they need to feel proud of the work that they put in meant something to somebody. And that's what, uh, when we see that in her, especially in the last couple of years, it's just everybody gets happy and everybody uh, starts to feel for how much harder she's had to work to, uh, to get that recognition. Kip, I am very proud of you. I want to recognize you for your servant leadership. You've been a man of character in my life, someone who I've looked up to as a mentor. We work together as clients. You're someone who is a very bright light in the community. And to know now that you're a legal guardian, a caretaker, an advocate, a handler, a peacemaker, and just a dad for such a beautiful soul with Allie and 
your other two daughters and and a caring husband for Leslie. It's just a beautiful story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I, I don't talk a lot about it and it wasn't easy, um, but uh, I'm glad I got to know you. Thank you. What an extraordinary life story. If this story moved you, help enable our mission and keep this advertising free podcast going by chipping in $5 at bellystory.com. I'm responsible and accountable for this podcast, but I don't do it alone. Milos Brochetta is our sound engineer. Artie Wu is our advisor and many others have helped along the way to bring the story to life. Thank you for listening. I'm David All, and this is Belly of the Beast Life Stories and Beyond. Thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. Stay tuned. I'm working on some stories that you need to hear. <laughs>